Good morning. It is such an honor to be with you this morning, and um, Carly and I are very grateful, very grateful for the last six months, how you as a church have been so generous and have loved on us. And um, last night as we were about to go to bed, uh, Carly was quiet, and I asked her why she was quiet, and she just said, I just don't want tomorrow to come. And um, I asked why. She said, because it's our last Sunday with Sojourn. I just want you all to know that we love you and that we are going to be in contact with you guys over the next few months. About 10 years ago, I went with a team to the country of Romania, and I went with this team with the, um, with the perspective, with the intention of building new homes for gypsy families. Now, for those of us who don't know, gypsies are a nomadic group of people. Most of them live in Eastern Europe. Uh, for those of you who shop at Target off of Taylor Street, there was a family there um, the last couple of months, and I think they've made their way back to California. But they're very nomadic, and in Romania, one of the largest gypsy populations lives there. And in 2006, there was a, a flood, and all of the gypsy homes have been, had been washed away by this flood, and so... We came into Romania, and um, we came into this gypsy village, and we're surprised at the fact that they had built these temporary mud, dirt, whatever you want to call it, stick shelters. They were temporary, and they were sort of put together, you know. We walked inside of them, and to our astonishment, the, the gypsy women and the children would start cleaning, cleaning as much as they possibly could. They had made these brooms of straw, and they were just sweeping the dirt and the mud from one side of this shelter to the next. They were trying to do this so that somehow they and their shelters were clean and presentable to us. That was the whole point of it. And I still remember this day, them just wiping dirt over dirt over dirt. In the same way that those gypsies tried to clean and be clean and presentable for us and our team, I think that we as a people try to keep ourselves clean in the face of a holy God. If we're honest with ourselves and we go deep into our souls, we all want cleansing. I'm not talking about physical cleansing. I'm talking about spiritual in our hearts and in our souls in front of a holy, perfect God. But some of us are good at maintaining a cleanliness around other people. We're good at, at cleaning ourselves and making it look, giving off the perception as if we are clean spiritually. We try to be clean and, and maintain that cleanliness, but in front of a holy God, most of us today would say that we feel shame and embarrassment and guilt, if we were to get honest. Society tells us that it doesn't matter if your heart's not clean. What matters is that you give the impression that you're clean. And if you can name someone off in your life that's dirtier than you, then good for you. That is a lie. And John speaks into this problem today. John chapter 13, he speaks into the problem of dirt 
and cleansing in our lives. Go with me to the chapter, starting in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. And he, wa- and he began to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I think this is one of the most amazing passages that we will ever read in Scripture. Christ, who is at the highest point of authority in the universe, decides to spend the last moments of his life on earth with his disciples in humility. In humility. If he were any other type of worldly leader in our society today, how do you think he would spend those last moments? How do you think he would show who he was to his people in those last hours of his life? John tells us that he gets on his hands and his knees and he washes their feet. Something that would have been very awkward and maybe even offensive in that day. Just to give you guys an example, it's very small, very minute, but just kind of give you an impression of how awkward it may have been. Dodds Panger was telling me a couple of weeks ago about how he and his wife Kimberly had taken Abby and their daughters Abby and Penny to a restaurant to eat dinner. While they were there, Penny, of course, as the child that she is, she's in her high chair. As they're eating through the dinner, she starts to throw dinner from one side to the other, right? Like most babies, half of her dinner was on the floor. Kimberly like most of us, didn't want someone to have to go there and pick all of that up. And so she got on her hands and her knees and she started picking up the food that Penny had dropped from her high chair. The waiter saw this and was horrified and shocked. Right? He tries to stop her and he tries to tell her, look, you can't do this, right? He's the one that is supposed to be paid to pick up the mess off the floor. She shouldn't have to do that. That's below her. And in the same way, guys, all of us, all of us, there is a desire. When we see someone doing something that is below them, it makes us cringe. We don't want to see that. We don't want them to have to stoop and to do something that they shouldn't have to do. Just imagine how much more shocking it would have been for the sustainer of the universe to get on his hands and his knees and to wash their feet. Their dirty and bloody feet. Just imagine, just imagine what the disciples would have felt. Would they have felt embarrassment or shame? How would we have felt if we were in their position and the king of kings comes and starts to wash our feet. This is not supposed to be happening for the disciples. This is not supposed to be how they spend the last couple of hours with the king of the Jews. He was supposed to go to Jerusalem, take his earthly throne, and run the Romans out of Jerusalem. 
Yet Christ shows his love for his disciples not by showing the strengths that they have, but by going to something that is the least attractive thing on their body, their feet. The place where most of us this morning also feel the least attractive. Jesus is using something tangible like feet, not to talk about feet, but to talk about something much more cosmic. And no matter how we were raised, guys, just want to get honest this morning, no matter how we were raised or which backgrounds that we've come from or how much money we have, we all want to be attractive and we all want to have good personalities. So what do we do? We go to the people that are attractive and have the best personalities. You look for them at your work. You look for them in your parishes and on your Sunday gathering to the first person that you seek out. We don't want to show people that which is the least attractive of us. But the kingdom of God doesn't work like that. Thank God it doesn't work like that. Christ spends time with his enemies. He breaks bread with the people that are illegally taxing his people. He speaks to prostitutes, and he spends time with the socially awkward and the marginalized. This is what Christ does. He gives attention to them. And if I could just be straightforward with you this morning, I'm not sure if you're like me, but I, I think you are. If, if we think sometimes that somehow we're normal, right? We've got it all together. And usually how we try to compensate this or how we try to understand this whole dilemma is that we try to think of a person in our life who's stranger than us. How many of you have done that? We think of that person. I can think of him right now. <laughs> and I think, I've got it going on. I'm normal. Thank God. Right? But here's the problem with that. If you and I were put in another social context, in another sphere of influence, in another tier of success, would we be the outcast? Would we be the strange one? Would we be the socially awkward? No matter who we are, no matter what we've done, we don't want others to see that which is the least attractive thing on us. And this is what Christ is shedding light on here. Look back with me in verse 6. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Peter is such an example of humanity. I don't know about you, but I always, when I read the scriptures and I come to Peter, I find myself in the life of Peter. Just imagine for a second, Christ has washed Thomas's feet, he's working on John's feet, and he's about to come over to Peter's feet. And what does Peter do? Peter tries to take the pious, humble way out. No thank you. He declines. He declines. We might paraphrase his question to Jesus as, 
you don't think you're going to wash my feet, do you, Lord? Christ rebukes him by telling him, look, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but you will. You will. Peter's first question, seemingly humble, but then he goes to create even more damage. Look what he says. You shall never, you shall never wash my feet. Guys, it is not humility, but unbelief and arrogance in rejecting the cleansing that Christ is offering Peter. It is not humility. There are some of us this morning who are trying to live in the same reality that Peter is living in, that somehow we can maintain our own morality, refuse Christ because he doesn't understand us. We try to keep ourselves clean by moving dirt from one side of our heart to the next. That is, we are good at playing the game of hiding our dirt. An example, some of us here struggle with pornography. But instead of exposing our dirt in that sin, and all of us feel dirty when it happens, instead of taking that to Jesus, we try to manage. We try to control. We try to take care of it ourselves. We try to keep those desires at bay. Some of you here might struggle with insecurity and who you are as a husband or as a wife or as a father, as a mother, as a single person. You struggle with insecurity. But instead of going to Jesus about it, you go to work. And you work on that project 60 to 80 hours a week to find the acceptance and security that you seek. You don't go to Jesus for it. All of us, all of us, will struggle and have struggled with the sin of comparison. We try to justify our feelings and our actions and our purchases as if those were good and godly things. But they're not the reason why we buy those things or we do those things. It's the reason because we're looking at the person beside us. We don't take that dirt to Christ. We try to justify it. It's a good decision. It's the best decision. And unfortunately, guys, the dirt of comparison will not go away, especially when we live in a world of Facebook and Instagram. I'm one. We can't stand to be on Facebook because it just cripples us. It is the same unbelief and arrogance that Peter shows, that we show when we try to reject the offer of Christ. It's the same unbelief and arrogance that rejects the offer of the gospel as if it were too wonderful to be for us or too good news for us to receive. Me except that? You don't understand me, Jesus. I'm the exception. You don't get my situation. Look at what Jesus tells Peter. If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. The meaning of what he says here goes much deeper than just foot washing. Peter was right. Peter was right. 
He did not deserve the grace of Christ in washing his feet. But if Peter rejects the washing that Christ is offering him, then he must also reject the cleansing power of Christ to clean him forever. And that's what the passage is shedding light on here. That if we reject grace in principle, we reject all grace, period. Period. The truth is, is that we, like Peter, at one point or another, reject grace. You have. I have. Some of you this morning may be rejecting His grace right now. We somehow think that we can clean the, the dirt floors of our life and keep our own morality. Accepting this grace is something that will shake up your life. It definitely shook up Peter's life. I don't know about you, but it's shaken up my life. If any of you have never thought of what grace is capable of, listen to these words written by Paul Tripp, who is a pastor and a writer. He describes grace as right here, right now. He writes, Grace will make you as uncomfortable as you have ever been, while offering you a more lasting comfort than you have ever known. Grace will dash your ill-founded hopes, but never walk away and leave you helpless and hopeless. Grace will decimate, decimate the kingdom of one as it introduces you to a much, much better king. Grace will expose to you the extent of your blindness as it gives you eyes to see what you so desperately need to see. This is what grace does. This is what Christ is offering Peter here. This is what Christ is offering us today. Grace. Grace. Look back at verse 10 with me. Christ goes on to tell Peter that the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. When Peter hears this rebuke, like we would, he starts to flip out. Okay, God, okay. Then wash my head, wash my hands, wash my arms, wash me. I want to be with you. He didn't understand what Christ meant at that point. But when Christ said that you are completely clean, he meant they were completely clean. They had believed. They were born again. They had passed from darkness to light. They have eternal life. They've passed from death to life. And they are sons of light. And no one can take them from Christ. We need, church, to be reminded of the cleansing power of what Christ has accomplished in us. Clean. Absolutely clean. But here's the issue. When Christ tells them that they are completely clean, He is speaking about the cleansing that is about to happen on the cross. The dirt doesn't just go away. Your dirt and my dirt and Peter's dirt doesn't just go away. That's why Christ can confidently say that they're clean because He was about to take on the dirt and the mud of their sin on the cross. This is why He can tell them that you are clean. He knew. Christ knew 
what he was about to do. This is what the scripture tells us. In Ephesians chapter 1, we see Paul writes that in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood according to the riches of his grace. And in chapter 2, verse 8, that it is by grace that you and I are saved through faith. Not our own doing, not our own cleaning, not our own maintaining. It is a gift of God. A gift of God. All of us who have been spiritually washed by Christ have a part in Christ. Every single person that Christ saves, he justifies and he sanctifies. And what this verse means is that you and I do not keep ourselves clean. We will never keep ourselves clean. We are only clean when we receive the grace that Christ offers to us, period. Period. But how many of us, how many of us have friends and loved ones and family members that like those gypsies try to clean and clean and clean, being religious, being morally acceptive of others, being tolerant of other people's beliefs. They don't get it. They're trying to be clean. But the problem is, is that you can't hide the dirt forever. The shocking and terrifying thing of a person that is convinced of that is that they cannot hide their dirt forever. The only thing, the only solution to that person's state is grace. Is grace. God's grace. Listen to the hymn, Grace Greater Than Our Sin. Two of the stanzas sound like this. Sin and despair, like the sea waves cold, threaten the, lo- threaten the soul with infinite loss. Grace that is greater, yes, grace untold, points to the refuge of the cross. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, look, there is a flowing, a crimson tide, wider than snow you may be today. Guys, this is the grace of God. And what's beautiful about it, Sojourn, is that no matter how far you've drifted from Him, no matter how dirty you feel, no matter how much mud and dirt is in your heart, His grace will find you. His grace is coming for you. It doesn't matter how distant you feel from him. He's going to meet you. He's going to meet you, and he's going to cleanse you forever. Question is, is will you let him clean you? Will you let him? Or will we be like Peter? Look back at the end of verse 10 with me. Jesus says, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. Except for his feet. Now, really strange. When I read that, I thought, what is he talking about? Why does Jesus make it sound as if we are clean when he cleanses us, but our feet are still dirty? It's because they are still dirty. They are still dirty. Even though we have been cleansed, we still fight sin on this earth. And daily, you and I both pick up the daily dirt of sin with our feet. 
Peter failed to realize this. He failed to realize that that moment was Christ was talking about. But this is what Christ meant, that just as often as the disciples in the first century Judea had to wash their feet walking from city to city, so they also needed their hearts cleaned. Feet clean, hearts clean. And this is what he's speaking to right here. This is why we as a church have a time of confession and assurance. We don't think it's just cool by adding it to the service or we just want to do something out of the ordinary. No, it's because it's right here in Scripture. Confession. We need to confess the dirt of our heart and our lives every day. But here's the problem, though. Are we going to be like Peter? Think of it again. Christ is coming to Peter to wash his feet. Peter refuses. It's difficult. I don't know about you, but it's difficult. I cannot go Sunday to Sunday with dirty feet. What do I mean by that? I mean, I cannot go Sunday to Sunday without confessing the, sur- the sin and the dirt in my own heart. I can't do it. I can't do it. Some of us, some of us have seen, though, and experienced this wonderful gift of confession in your parishes, in your families, on Sunday gathering, being able to come together. We confess our sin. And what does that mean? It means that we stop pretending that everything's okay. Stop pretending. This is a wonderful, wonderful freedom that we have to confess in any moment in our lives. Your people in your parish are there for you for this very reason. And it doesn't mean that you have to wait for parish gathering during the week or Sunday gathering to confess. It doesn't mean that you have to wait to be all spiritually felt and, and wait for the sermon questions to get serious with God. It means that when you are playing board games with your parish members or with your family members on a Saturday night and someone comes to you and asks you, how are you? How can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? Don't be like Peter. Don't maintain. Don't refuse. Don't sweep dirt from one side to the other. Confess. Confess to each other. This is a beautiful gift that we have, church. Confess. Such an amazing gift. Such an amazing gift. Look back at verse 12 with me. Christ, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Sojourn, when he asked them that this, do you know what I've done to you? I want to ask you the same thing. Do we know what Christ has done for us? Do we know what he's accomplished for us in cleaning us forever? It doesn't matter what I say here this morning. It doesn't matter what your pastors will say or your parish leaders will say or what the Bible says. 
about any of this. We will never be moved to serve the least among us until we understand and are moved by the fact of what the, the cleansing blood of Jesus has accomplished in our lives. That's the only time when we're going to move. We will never be motivated to serve the least among us until we understand the beauty of the gift that he's given us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian who was killed by the Nazis in 1945, speaking about serving and the church serving, said this. He said, those who would learn to serve must first learn to think little of themselves. Only those who live by the forgiveness of their sin in Jesus Christ will think little of themselves in the right way. They will know that their own wisdom completely came to a stop when Christ forgave them. Do you know what he's done for you? Do I know what he's done for me? Only when we believe and we are motivated by what he's done will we actually go out and serve like he has served us. Only then. Jesus finishes this dialogue in chapter 13 in verse 20 with these words. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. The most important point of this sermon, the most important point of this chapter is this. Christ is giving a calling to his disciples, to you and to me this morning, on behalf of the same grace that he showed them in washing their feet. The same grace that he showed them in washing their feet is the same grace that empowers us and strengthens us to be able to go out on his behalf and share the gospel to other people. This is what he's talking about. This is the calling. And I promise you, church, that you will find the deepest joy as a family, as a community, as a church, not when you are praised for your church planting abilities or your parish multiplication abilities, but when the dirt of Houston is cleansed by the blood of Jesus because his servants, his people, serve the marginalized and the least among us. It's the only way. That's the only joy you're ever going to have. It's the same joy that he's calling us to have. Believe me, it's not easy. It is going to be the most difficult thing of your life. But he wants us to get low like him. He wants us to get on our hands and on our knees. And he wants us to serve people in our parishes and in our neighborhood and in certain neighborhoods of Houston that aren't lovely, that are the least attractive places to go to. He says something beautiful. He says that when we, brothers and sisters, go on his behalf and we serve, they don't just receive us. They receive him. And they receive grace. Grace. And we receive something too. Look at verse 17 with me. Blessed. Blessed are you if you do them. Blessed. A couple of weeks ago, I was thinking about that passage, thinking about that verse, what did it mean? And the um, Lord kindly showed me what that meant last week. My wife, Carly, and I, we were going to Asian 
Heights Cafe, is that what it's called? I think so, yeah. Um, I love their soup. I love their egg drop, egg drop soup. And um, we were getting out of the car one night, the last week, and as I was getting out of the car, we were walking towards the restaurant, and I see this man coming out of the corner of my eye up to me. The man told us that he needed a place to stay that night and that he needed a meal. And he wanted, he wanted to wash our tires and our wheels of our car while we ate dinner so that then we could give him some money to be able to have that that night. He told us that his name was Herman and that he was a Vietnam vet for six years he worked at a job here in Houston for 22 years before he was laid off. After he was laid off, he started seeking pleasure in both alcohol and drugs, and because of that, lost his family. But he told us, he reminded us that it was always the grace of God that would get him through every single day and every single night on the streets. We gave him the cash that was on us, and he said, you know something, you are the grace of God to me because I just gave my last 68 cents to my friend under the bridge and I knew God was going to take care of me. We told him about Italy. We told him about our plans to go back soon. And I can still remember his words. Preach the gospel to those people and be the grace of God to those people as you've been the grace of God to me. We held hands and were praying together. And he put his hand on my wife's stomach and he started praying for our unborn baby that our son would grow in the knowledge of Christ. I understand what being blessed means. We parted ways with Herman and we were speechless the rest of the night. Herman was a gift to our family that night. And just as you Sojourn have been a gift to our family these last six months. You've been the grace of God to our family the last six months so that we might be the grace of God to the spiritually marginalized in Italy. You are a gift to us. God is showing us at the end of the day, no matter how much money you or I have, we all are like Herman. We all are spiritually marginalized as people in the face of a holy God. And he comes walking up to us. Christ comes walking up to you and me. And he doesn't just meet our temporary need. He cleans us forever. He cleans us forever. If you and I, if we serve the least fortunate, the marginalized, the socially outcast, we are blessed. The Bible never tells us if we have if we don't have problems in our parishes, we are blessed. The scriptures never tell us that if we can multiply a parish in a year, we're blessed. The Bible says that if you and I get low like Jesus and we serve the marginalized, we're blessed. We're blessed. You know, at the end of those three weeks in Romania, we built 20 cinder block, new, clean houses for those gypsy families. In our astonishment, they would take their belongings out of the old mud, dirty stick huts. They'd walk over to the new house. They'd put their belongings in it. 
and they walked back to the stick mud houses that they had built, and they set them on fire and burned them to the ground. There are some of us this morning who would like to believe that Jesus can wash our hearts, he can cleanse us, but you just feel like you're too dirty. I get you. I have felt that way before. But guys, there is something that you cannot trade anything under heaven. When Christ comes to you and he takes your old, dirty, muddy heart and he gives you a new one that's been cleansed, transformed, renewed, and he gives you a new life, you don't want the old. You don't want it because you don't need it. Sojourn. When Christ gives you something new, destroy the old. Burn it. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the promise that it holds. Thank you for the truth that it sheds light on our sin. Thank you for speaking to us this morning. We pray that as your example, we would serve the lowly among us and that we would expose that which is the least attractive to the people around us so that your glory may be made manifest in our life. I thank you for this church. I thank you for this group of people, these brothers and sisters who love you. I pray for them. I pray that they would be the grace of God to people today. And that your grace would be enough to cleanse us, Lord, forever. Amen.